All right, welcome to D&D Brief. This is DM Samuel, and I'm here with three of my players. If you'll introduce yourselves real quick, we'll start with Matt. Hello, I'm Matt. I'm playing Konos, the CL Forlock. And Nina. Hey, I'm Nina, and I'm playing Everin Ornestra, who's a human Tempest player. And Karu. Hi, I'm Hikaru, and I'm playing Marcel Petitia Abduran, the Lutrinian Storm Sorcerer. Excellent. And um, so you'll notice that the fourth player, uh, David, who used to play Axley Tilling Quest, the halfling bard, is not with us. Uh, and that's actually a discussion that we need to have because David has left the game. Um, and so this is kind of a pre-debrief debrief. Normally we do them at the end of the session, but we'll do them at the beginning this time. Um, and so um, he has some personal things that are happening, and he just could no longer commit to this uh, being in the stream every other Sunday. So he has left the game relatively abruptly. We didn't get much warning. So um, what that leaves us with is a situation where we need to... Uh, talk about as a group what we're going to do about that seat because we have several options. Um, in my mind, we are pretty close to the end of the game, the end of the campaign, at least this particular campaign. And so that means that, um, you know, there's only four or five sessions left and it's a little bit difficult to bring a new person in at such a high level without them having a lot of, you know, background and whatnot. Um, although it still is an option, it feels like it's not much of one, but it is an option. Or, you know, then there's some, then there's the question of what we do with his character. So I figured that maybe it might be a good debrief topic to talk about this sort of thing with respect to this game in particular, what we're going to do with him. And then also uh, just with respect to gaming in general, what happens when a player leaves a game for whatever reason. So, anybody have any thoughts? <laughs> Don't all talk at once. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to leave an awkward pause here long enough. Yeah. For, uh... And eventually it'll all work itself out. <laughs> um, no, um, I mean, we we had some... So, we all, I think we individually had some discussions kind of offline as far as options for what happens to you know his character in-game. I think we mentioned, like, you know, he... You know, let me pull my channel, my notes back up. Basically, we could mention, he mentioned like he had mentioned wanting to spend more time, I think, with studying things in the library. So that could potentially be like an option as far as you know. That's that's essentially physically where where his character goes, mm -hmm. and potentially you know, as, as it becomes like an NPC resource. Should we should we need to use that for for anything? Essentially, it's like a, it's like a way for us to get things out of the library without having us having to go there ourselves. Right. Okay. That's a good option. What do you uh, think I think the it? one, the, the, the option I had, had talked about, which kind of works with the library one, unless community, no, we know communication to the library isn't that bad. Um, <laughs> have him be the one essentially pulling the plug or at least keeping track of uh, when the army of undead show up near the town to uh, drain drain the, the, the pool um, and wreck their day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the 
at the end of the last episode, there was a um, situation where the party was trying to figure out how long they should wait before they say the command phrase and cause the reversal of the sinking. And part of the discussion was, let's try to warn, or I guess part of the decision actually was, let's try to warn as many people as possible. And so since we're going to warn as many people as possible, we're going to send out sort of convoys or, or you know, people up ahead. Like, I think you sent, what, four Hakka or something four, in the, in yeah, the cardinal think- directions? Was it four or three? No, it was three because it's it's a harbor, so one directly out mm-hmm. and two to the sides. Okay, um, to cover the horizon basically, right. um, enough away so that they can drain it and hopefully strand the army on land. Yeah, and so the idea was um, those those individuals would be keeping watch and would send back a signal as soon as possible when they saw the approaching undead army swimming towards them. The undead army from the vision that you all saw so, so many eons ago. It's <laughs> that like third session? <laughs> yeah, I, maybe fourth. I don't, I don't really maybe quite remember, fourth. but it was uh, when you went uh, down and the, the lens got activated and it showed you the, the image of uh, who you now know uh, is Laralac leading the, Leading the charge no, wait, of an undead army, because that was in the Hakka temp- mud temple that we saw that. No, that was in the temple under the crab. Oh, the was crab it? Island. I yeah. thought we had just seen his his like laboratory the first time. Oh, um, yes, you're right. You're right. So it was in yeah. the Hakka. It was in the Hakka uh, temple so of a, mud. Yeah, a couple months later, but <laughs> yeah, so still feels like eons ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's that. So we leave him in the library, right? Or we uh, leave him... Um, I mean, both works, because, like, yeah. have him in the library waiting for that moment, and then mm-hmm. him pulling the plug and coming out to help deal with the repercussions of the army until we get back. Right. And that's always assuming we don't get back in time, so... Mm-hmm. Right. Um, any I, other options? There was something that was discussed, I think, either in Discord or uh, when we were chatting about possibly leaving him on the boat with Sabatine to uh, to sort of be the generals of the army when the fight shows up. Um, I mean, that's an option. I think, given the like, given the setup we put of having uh, out like people looking out um mm-hmm. having him in the library on hand so near the entrance so he doesn't have to scramble too far and then once he gets the alert from the sending just go down to the harbor and grab a boat to go to Sabatine's ship um and help out as he can mm-hmm. works so basically all three options a b c <laughs> <laughs> all of the yeah. above. Mm. Let's just get all the use out of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Assuming he survives long enough to give us any information he found in the library, of course, but yeah. <laughs> we're hoping he doesn't die till we get back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of options to it, right? I mean, he could go with you um, or he could go with uh, Delincia when she goes to, 
find Blacksley. Um, if you go with her, that would mean he would be going with you. Uh, or you could go do something else while he went and did that. Uh, I mean, so there, there's, there are other options to keep him an active part of the events, but off screen, um, other than just being the library contact. Uh, I've been kicking things around in my head for, uh, several days, but I really feel like this should be a, a group decision. So, um, just because I, I didn't have, because he left unexpectedly, I didn't already have a trajectory for, I mean, so there were some things that were going to happen, but if he, if the player was here, he could be playing the character and then that, that would be what happened. Um, but because he's not here, I'm not going to put the character in those situations necessarily because I'm not going to narrate for you what he would have done because I don't know what he would have done in certain situations. Um, so that's kind of off the table. Uh, but it's not necessary to make him a very static figure. We could send him off to do something if you need him to go off and do something. But we can also just leave him in the library if you want to leave him in the library. But... Um, you know, if you have any, other I mean, I think it's so useful for us if he's collecting information. I can't remember what we were planning to collect from the library, to be fair. Because, like, the other option in terms of sending him off on a separate adventure that I can think of at least would be f seeing if he can find either the Wyvern Lair or the 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 um. Uh, other sage that we wanted to contact, uh, Allegra Hammer, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, see if he could find Allegra Hammer for whatever information we yeah. can mine from that. Because that's yeah. on the same continent. Yeah, it was yeah on the, the seminary same... of St. Abdar. Yeah. yeah. We had the location of the seminary, and he could go to that as well. So, what do you think, Nina? I also kind of had the idea that maybe he could go with Valencia. I'm not 100% sure if that's what I would want to do, though, just because I feel like we don't really know what Axley, or Blacksley is doing, so I feel like we should maybe be the ones to kind of run interference just because there's more of us. Mm -hmm. um, but, I don't know, I feel like a lot of those options are good options. I feel like there's a lot to be done that he can do. Um, I didn't even think about, like, Allegra Hammond or anybody, so that's a really good idea, too. Um, but again, if it's, if it makes if a little simpler to leave him in the city so that he can be aware of what's going on and just kind of act as our eyes while we're gone, that is really helpful. Mm -hmm. But I don't know there's a lot of good options. <laughs> Essentially, it's sort of becoming like, you know, how many loose ends do we need to tie up and how many can potentially yeah. be, be used actually to do. Right we stay focused on main task. Yeah. So let's table that for a second. Um, and let's talk about as a debrief topic, the effect of a player leaving a longstanding campaign. Um, you know, this is, it's, yeah, we've been playing for a year and a half and, um, we've generally been playing about every two weeks. There were a couple of months where, we only played once a month for whatever reason. There was actually a month where we played three times, um, but ultimately it's about it's about every two weeks, not counting holidays. 
So for 18 months, you know, you're playing twice a month. We've got, you know, we've got, um, you know, 36 three-hour sessions, 36 four-hour sessions, something like that, give or take. This is actually, in my numbering, this is actually session 38. Um, but a couple of those were when I was chopping things up and trying to do hour-long sessions, and that didn't really work out. So so it's actually really like session 34 or something like that. But in other words, to, <laughs> to make my point, we've, we've had 34 four-hour sessions. Um, and so, you know, I think it's something that is not necessarily all that rare that a player leaves a campaign after some amount of time. And I think that it it's different whether they leave early or sort of in the middle or leave late. Um, the choices are different and the, maybe the thoughts and feelings are different. So um, I know, Nina, you don't have a ton of experience because you're a relatively new player. Um, but I know that, that Karu and Matt both have lots of experience like I do. Um, and so you've been in groups that have lost a player, or perhaps you've been a player that has left, you know, a group. Um, I've been a player that's left a group. I've also had people leave groups. And as a DM, I've had to kick people out of groups. Um, just to make it perfectly clear to the audience, that is not what happened here. I did not have to ask David to leave. He left of his own volition, and there's no hard feelings, and we all wish him the best. And there was no big fight or blow up or anything like that. It just things happened, and... And he had to leave the game. Um, but I have actually been in groups where I've had to ask a person to leave because they didn't mesh well with the group. They were disruptive. They didn't have the same goals as the rest of the party seemed to have, the rest of the players seemed to have. Um, and I've also left groups because it turns out they didn't want to play the type of game I wanted to play. And in every single case that that has ever happened to me, it's always been a very tough decision. So... I don't know. I just want to put that out there if anybody has any comments related to that. I've actually been on the opposite end. I've been the person joining a group that is end game. <laughs> really? Uh, and that was my first game of D&D. So it was really awkward. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was the I wasn't even the girlfriend. I was just a friend at that point of of that like I had just met the group because they were geeks and I was a geek and they were like, Hey, you want to try D and D? And I'm like, sure. Why not? <laughs> it's, it's weird because like, yeah, sure. In character, it's not too hard because like your character's also joining this group of seasoned adventurers that are, you know, end game fighting bosses and you just happen to stumble upon them and have to somehow quickly get up to date of what's going on to help them. Um, and I think that like that's that's part of the the whole problem with like end game uh, leaving. Just both on the side of well, what do you do with the rest of the players and their characters, and explaining away or dealing with the fact that one of the characters has become an NPC effectively. Um, right. But even more so, I think the problem is is anyone else who can re like take that seat has so much to go through in terms of story, or has to, the group has to make the decision of being like, well, your character doesn't necessarily know everything, 
here's the basics of what's happening in the world and go from there. Mm-hmm. There's the other aspect of that that you're making me think of too, is the issue of this is a completely homebrew world. So exactly. It's not the even world- like the, the person who's going to replace Okay, not even like a person coming in replacing someone could actually go like buy the world book and read this 20 pages that tells you all about this background. Like that's not. Yeah. Yeah. In my case, I was joining a Dragonlance campaign and I had already read the Dragonlance books. So at least I knew the world. (laughs) I knew, I knew the, I knew how the world worked. So I had that going for me at least. I didn't know what these guys were up to, but. (laughs) Right. Matt, you were going to say something. Yeah. I was saying, like my my experience has been similar to Sam's. I mean, I've 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 played played a few groups. There was one that I had to, the base of my husband and I both played in a in a in a in like a Storm King Thunder game several years ago. We both wound up ultimately leaving that game before it finished for for our own reasons. But it was a matter. It was kind of a it's a situation where you know little things kind of kept happening where we both kind of realized this is we're just either we're not having a good time with the with the, the people or the DM or it's just not a good fit. And it just came to this point you know we're we're not having fun. It's not something we look forward to. And and we both wound up leaving. Now we did at least we did you know make an effort to try to talk with the DM prior to and a few times say hey you know, we're 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 having some issues with with. X, Y, or Z because these things that can be addressed and the DM, you know, said they would said they would, but never really fully did so to either our satisfaction. So it was a case that we just we just had to leave. Um decide, you know, it's just not fun, it's not something we want to continue with, and we let the DM we we, we let the DM know, hey, you know, we're not gonna be continuing. Um yeah. on the flip side, and I've been DMing a, I've been DMing a game uh with with it's this been the same campaign that's been going on for about four years. At least, um, because on average we play once a month, so it's been more stretched out. Uh, but that started off with eight or nine different people mm. because I was dumb and it was the first time I'd ever DM'd a campaign. So yeah, I went, hey, if Critical Role can do eight people, why, hey, why not? They make it look easy. Nope. Um, so that's the first thing on my list of things I'll never do is again as a DM. But anyway, point is, I have in the time that game has been going on, that I've had people leave that game, come out of that game, um, come into that game, start it, start it leave, come back months later, a couple of years later, and make a completely new character and then leave again. Um, you know, I had one, I had one person, you know, like Sam said, I had to ask them to step out because I, I just, same reason, you know, they, it wasn't a good fit. They weren't, they weren't taking it seriously and it just wasn't really fun for everybody, for anybody. So I could, I'd say I could probably make at least two, maybe two more full campaigns with a number of people who have come in and out of that game. But for the most part, it's been, you know, just either timing or life changing and not, not, Schedules, people's schedules changing. Just, it's not not a good. Uh, it just doesn't work for them anymore, unfortunately. But for the most part, nobody has nobody has flowed just up and vanished on me. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, but it's but it's never fun, and it always makes you wonder. You know, kind of leaves you wondering. Well, what could I have done differently, or what could I have done to, you know, to try to do more to make it fun for everybody, or reach out more, or be more communicative. And sometimes you just have to realize, you know. Even if you had done everything you possibly could have done, it still might have happened, and that's just you know that's just reality, and you find ways to move on. Yeah, and that's kind of I mean I think that's almost the ever present feeling is oh I wish I could have done something different to make that just be ever so slightly changed to make it better for all involved to make it maybe so that that didn't happen. And I, you know, most of the time though, the conclusion is there's really not anything that could have been done, at least not by then, not by the time the person's leaving. Like 
Like you, when, when you talked about you and your husband going and, and actually talking to the GM and saying, hey, you know, we're having these issues and, you know, can that be at least slightly shifted so that maybe it's not a bad situation for us anymore? And then if that, you know, then at least there's a chance there to fix that. But uh, in a lot of cases, I there's no real chance to fix things in my experience. Um you know, there, there's also like this particular campaign that we're in right now is this really huge, long-standing campaign with a crap ton of lore. That's the technical term, and like, you know, it just has this whole history, and and so it's really hard to, you know, it's 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 a very specific type of campaign. There are also ways to play the game where you're playing in a kind of more West Marches style, where you have a setting and things are happening and so you have lots of players kind of on the roster and whoever can show up for game night shows up and those people play characters and you you know you pick characters everybody has two or three different characters you don't play all at the same time it's just that you know you show up and um if 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 most of the people that show up they want to play their fifth level character then you play a fifth level sort of scenario that night or fifth level you know issue is dealt with that night um, and, you know, on the other hand, if you got two new people and you've got three other people, well, then you might be playing a first level scenario. Um, but it's sort of depends on who shows up and which characters want to get played and what storylines are currently active and stuff like that. And then there's a way to play where you don't have everybody with three or four different characters. Instead, you set up the campaign such that it is, um, like episodic, right? So like every session is more like an episode of a television show and so this works you know this works if you think of something like not like game of thrones where each episode you know builds on the other that's not what i'm talking about i mean episodic like a star trek show right where that show is completely all-encompassing you from the start of that episode to the end of that episode you finish the entire storyline for the most part now there are some overarching themes that run through all of those as we know but for the most part, most of those episodes are self-contained. And so you can actually set up a campaign that works like that, where everything is kind of self-contained. And that way, you know, if somebody leaves, they just leave in between episodes and it's, you know, it's a lot easier to deal with. Um, but that's not the kind of campaign this one is either. So, you know, it's it's a little bit more difficult to to deal with losing a player in the middle of a campaign or at the end of a campaign when you've got this big lead up to it. So, but Nina, you've been very quiet. What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting that that kind of got brought up because we actually, so I started my campaign very recent or soon after um, we started D&D Brief and we've only done like 14 or so sessions um, just because we're all in college, we're all students, we're all trying to figure life out and then the pandemic hit. So... It's interesting that we're talking about that because I originally had four players. It got bumped up to seven. One left, like, just kind of ghosted. He was very new to the game, and he actually um, enlisted into the army, so he just left. Oh, wow. Um, which wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's just been kind of weird, and we finally actually had a session with, like, the is actually still seven people because one of my one of the players brought their boyfriend who wants to start the game i think the 
the big thing is that like this was the first D game in our friend group so like everybody wants to kind of be a part of it like oh hey can i bring this person oh hey can i bring this person so we've kind of had people like in and out and it has been really hard <laughs> to kind of figure out how to do that um so we haven't been playing this game long enough for someone to like leave towards the end of the game mm-hmm. um but just knowing how difficult it is to kind of like try and make things work and like brief everybody on what's happening and I ended up making an info sheet like you did, Sam, for us because um, people like one of our players hasn't been there for three months and he has no idea what's going on, but he really wants to play again. So he's coming back and, you know, yeah. And just knowing how difficult that is, like, I can imagine that a player leaving at the very end of the game is probably extremely difficult. And then you have, again, are you going to bring someone else in to play for a couple of sessions and, them on everything or do they know very little and they're just kind of helping so yeah it's i give you props for all handling it as much as you have um and you know i think it is a skill that you gotta learn uh because it is part of the game people come and go and sometimes it's on great terms sometimes it's fine like david just had stuff up like other stuff that he needed to do and such but sometimes it's not and like Asking people to leave, I can imagine, is really difficult. Um, yeah. So it is. I think it's. Yep. But um, yeah, it's it's hard, and I give you all I give you all props. <laughs> now, can I? It's it's a lot of fun. But your game that you're that you're running is it? Are you running a, a published module, or are you making something up on your own, or you're doing your own homebrew? Yeah, that's even harder. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Again, it's a lot of fun because I do get to pull on a lot of strings and I'm just like, ooh, this would fit really well here. And I can like right. tailor it to the players um, because I had no idea what I was doing when I started. So I was just like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's fun. It's difficult. But, you know, at the end of the day, again, this was a pre-established friend group that I had. So, like, we all know each other. We all just, like, you know, have fun and, like, there have been times where they're just like, hey, can we play D&D this week? And I'm like, I have nothing prepared, but sure, I'll go ahead and wing it. And <laughs> we just, they get eaten by a giant fish and go through a little fish dungeon inside the belly of a whale. And nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Perfect. Four hours. And, you know, they pull some absolutely ridiculous crap. And, you know, it's not exactly by the rules, but it's fun. And we all laugh. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's just kind of how the game goes. Nice. That's what I think counts. there's up and there's up and downs for homebrew versus modules when it comes to players coming and leaving because mm-hmm. homebrew you have a lot more options. Like we yes. just thought of a bunch of options for for our game. If you're in a module, there's probably options to what you do with the character itself, but then the DM has to worry about balance if they're not replacing the character because. Mm-hmm. Most most published modules expect a group of at least like four to five players. So if you're down to three players, suddenly encounters that are supposed to be just you know random encounters become deadly encounters. Right. Especially if like depending on who left, right? Because if it's the cleric, then suddenly they can't heal as much. If it's if it's the barbarian, suddenly they're they don't have a tank. Uh, mm. I don't know if the warlock left, suddenly it's taking them. 10 turns to do what they could do in five turns because they're missing the firepower. Right. And and that's a lot harder with modules because everything's pre-baked in and now you're suddenly scrambling to decide if you have to 
delete one enemy or two enemies or if it's fine as it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes in a module, you're in a position where there's really not an easy way to bring a new character in. So you yeah. have to wait anyway until they get out of that particular chapter or, or part of the story. And then you can bring a new character in, but you still had to do all of that prep work and all of the everything anyway. So, yeah. 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 I, I know I've come up with some, I've had to come up with some I- unique ways of either taking people in or taking people out or putting people, you know, bringing people in on the, sometimes on the fly. Um, one, uh, there was one character I had to, uh, you know, when, when basically when their, when their time in the game came to an end, essentially, and it was, it was on good terms, just, you know, schedules weren't working anymore, but when their time came to the game, came to an end, um, they were playing a, Goli- a Goliath. So Goliath, you know, there's, there's a thing in Goliath in official D&D wars, you know, they're native to mountain regions. Mm-hmm. So I essentially came up with something where it's like, okay, he essentially got a form of altitude sickness. He had been at too low of an altitude for too long. Oh. And so he had to essentially get air, essentially get airlifted by a Druid NPC that the party had recently met um, to literally to turn into a giant Eagle and flew him and, Airlifted him up to a to, to a mountain range just so he could essentially recuperate. Um, so that was just something I sort of came up with on the fly and on the pun intended. Um, <laughs> but like, and like, but like, it, it it makes sense. It fits the it fits the, I guess the the story that's going on and and it's and it's just it's a it's it's just a cl- sort of a quick and clean and efficient way to mm-hmm. resolve things more or less. Yeah. That actually reminds me that I, I I do have a campaign where I lost someone recently, and the the effects in game as well of like suddenly character vanishes, possibly right before an important mission, say storming a castle, <laughs> and the repercussions for that character in terms of the other characters being like, whoa, what a dick! <laughs> this character just left our most dire need time, and it's like, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> 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 they had uh, suddenly called away because something was happening elsewhere that they really needed to get to. Yeah. Um, Our one I tank think... left us. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, uh, what? I think it was the very next session that you guys ended up TPKing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So that happens. Yeah. Yeah, I mean,. You know that yeah, there's there's the story effect, right? But then you're right. Then there's the mechanical issue of, you know, yeah. I mean, I spent my prep time today, like trying to figure out. Okay, well, first, what do I think you guys are gonna do? Like, I have no idea what you're <laughs> gonna do now. Like, I, I don't know where you're going next, just in general. And even if David was still here with us, I still would not know. So that's that was something that was gonna be there anyway. But then I had to think about. Okay, well, but now there's only three of you. So yeah. now I have to think about how to set things up that make sense for three individuals versus four individuals. And the thing about fifth edition D and D is it is more so than something like fourth edition, where the characters are all very hardy and all have a way to heal themselves and all have some amount of defenses in fifth edition, even at the higher levels, some characters are still relatively squishy. I mean, You've got a lot of hit points, you've got a lot of actions you can take, but ultimately the action economy is such that if there are too many opponents on the field, so to speak, 
you are going to be at a distinct disadvantage because there's only three of you. And so, you know, the fact that, um, that you're all basic casters, right? Like I, I know the cleric has a little bit of uh, battle prowess, but, but by now the cleric is also much more reliant on spells, right? And so here's the problem with that. We're not starting the battle 180, you know, meters away so that you've got time to get off a whole bunch of spells. Like when you start a battle, you're relatively close together. And if you only get one, uh, one turn before all of the, all of the other enemies are close enough to you that you can't really make good use of your spells without putting yourself in real danger, that completely changes the entire calculus of the actual battle, right? And now, it's kind of funny to be talking about this right now because this is such a low-combat game, but, you know, you're getting to the point where you're going to have to go face Laralak, and you're going to have to go face Shamasa Hasid, and you're going to be facing a giant army of undead swimming things, and, you know, you're going to be facing other things, and... So I still have to think about that. I can't just throw at you what I would have thrown at you if there were four or five of you. Yeah. Um, and so it, it is a real consideration. We, we are hoping for the distance, though, in terms of the army. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. Let you know. I'll take that under advisement. Yeah. 180 miles. There's, there's a reason meters. we sent the hawk out as lookouts. <laughs> yeah. um, true, true. But I think that's that's interesting for our group, too, because, like you said, not only are like, we all casters, which means economy of action, we have one action per turn. We don't have right. double attack. Right. So even there, like if 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 our mm -hmm. one spell failed, that's it. That's that's all we had. Where we can't action mm -hmm. surge, we can't try again. Um, besides, right. possibly like the two of us that have Eldritch mm -hmm. Blast, we have one and done uh, if we hit or not, and that affects a lot in terms of of, of economy of action. Right. And you don't have anyone to soak up the powers Damage. of the other of the other opponents, right? So. Yeah. It's not even. No, that's as been if, a problem we've had since day one. Right, our tank is the cleric. That's about. <laughs> that's it. right. That's right. And, and Ember has gone down. <laughs> right, but the thing is, if you have four or five PCs, you can actually deal with that in 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 a little more creative ways. With only three of you, there's only so much you can do. To, you know, ameliorate the effect of just having more opponents than three people, um, and if I mean, you, and then there's the problem that our tank is the cleric. Like I said, we right. lost our bard. So who's going to pick up the cleric now? <laughs> right, right, exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at the, you know, you're assuming that Laralac is a lich, right? So if we, if we pull out our trusty monster manual and we look at the lich stat block, right? Um, I've never seen the lich stat block. Why would you read that to me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, just for, <laughs> just for GP here. Um, <laughs> I could find it here. Here we go. So here's here's the lich, right? Now you're level fifteen. The lich is a CR twenty one creature. Now, as I said, you're assuming he's a lich, right? So oh yeah, yeah, we don't know for you're sure. You're assuming you don't know for sure, but let's presume if you were to do some um, research in the library, if you were to have <laughs> Axley send you some research in the library about liches, here's what you would learn: you would learn that they're spellcasters. Okay, which means the lich is is going to also not necessarily engage you hand to hand, but they're not just going to be there by themselves. They're going to have minions in front of them blocking them and soaking up that damage. That's the benefit you don't have because there's only three of you. Um, and you'll also learn that 
he can paralyze. He has legendary actions that allow him to uh, to do a frightening gaze, right? So he could make you run away. Um, he could... Oh, if you're within 20 feet of him, you have to make a DC 18 constitution saving throw against his disrupt life action if he chooses to use it. It's a lair action. Um, which, uh, if you fail the DC 18, think about that DC, even at 15th level, a DC 18 con save is hard, right? Mm -hmm. And you take six D six damage, necrotic damage and half on a save. That's his lair action. That's not even an an action he takes as part of his turn. That's why you don't fight a witch in its lair. (laughs) Right. But but I'm just saying, right. So when you're talking about, action economy there there are things that the higher level creatures have that make it so that they have a much easier time dealing within that action economy they have you know effects that take place on certain uh certain counts in initiative or they have effects that allow them to do more than one thing right um as you were saying you know you you're all casters so it's not like you can sit there and cast three spells right you can cast one spell um and you know whatever so like it it's it becomes a, a a question of how dangerous is this going to be for the group uh in terms of of what's happening and that's something as the whole reason i'm bringing this up is that's something that you know aside from the issue of losing a player and having a bit of story to deal with and having you know having to decide you know, what happens, you know, to that actual PC, aside from just the whole interpersonal thing of, wow, you know, I lost a player that there's some things there that, that as a human being, right, when you spend two Sundays a month hanging out with somebody for a year and a half, to suddenly have that person gone is, uh, it's something to deal with, right, from an interpersonal perspective, you know, it's something we have to deal with. And but aside from that, just in terms of the pure mechanics of the game, the DM also has to deal with not just the fact that a PC is missing and there's a story hole there, but also the mechanical effect of here we have a situation where it, because it's end game, you're about to go up against some real bad mofos. And now you're at a huge deficit. So so the reason I bring this up, other than just because this is part of the debrief, but you're going to have to think about maybe getting some help because you don't have and and you haven't had to have any kind of retainers or hirelings or henchmen or anything up till now, right? You have accidentally had some at times because Konos is the Haka. So, you know, you've had the Haka at your disposal for various times and you've had um, different elements of groups of people at your disposal. You had, you know, some guards in the castle in the Royal Manor in, in Cowport were taking orders basically from you, um, you know, going, going down. And when Imran went down and did the healing in the town, you know, people would do what she said. And, you know, so there have been elements of that a little bit throughout the whole game, uh, being the captain of the ship, being second in command of the ship, you know, you, you give orders, right? And so the people on the ship do what you say. So there has been a little bit of that, but it's kind of been off screen up until now. Now there might be an element of, okay, we need to bring that to the forefront so that we have some meat shields basically in front of us. 
So that's something you might want to think about as you're preparing to go on your next missions, right? So any other thoughts um, about that? And then we'll get going with the game if there's no thoughts about that. No? Okay. So. I think it seems like we're, like, as far as I know, uh, we're still going to the Soul Forge with Delencia. And if the queen's going to the Soul Forge, then I can imagine that her knights, especially Lord Tobik, would be like, you're not going alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily trust these three. They don't look, they look kind of squishy. None of them's wearing armor. Well, okay, the paladin's wearing, the cleric's wearing armor, Cleric. but still. Um, so one or two knights to, even on the, pre- uh, on the premise of protecting the queen mm-hmm. from any harm. Um, I don't know how we're going to the Soul Forge, though, and how many people we can fit in the um, Curiosity, if that's our means of transport, though. <laughs> it was a cramped fit, and uh, both um, myself and um, our missing friend is are, were smaller beings. Mm-hmm. That's true. You're both smaller. Well, as far as getting there, if I can get something that's tuned properly, I can get us to there. I can get us out. <laughs> we got in and out. That's great. <laughs> okay, so so what's your plan? Uh, actually, does anybody want to do a recap? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's probably important. <laughs> so we had gone to the Red Plateau slash the Nine Hells. Um to essentially, and we made a deal with the devil um, to obtain a special sword that was on the verge of being completed and given to another archdevil. We made a deal with one devil to mess up the deal with another archdevil. Um, so to go to, go and retrieve this sword as it was being forged and being completed. And when we got there, we found they were using like a like a very very powerful and unpleasant demon as a battery for making the forge work. Um, and through a whole lot of guile and deceit, and bra- uh, tying down the Baylor when it tried to break free, we were basically able to get in, get out, get, get in, get the sword, and get out. And um, and get back to, and basically fulfill our end of the bargain. And then we return to the, uh, well, we return to the, the library, the spire room. We found that there was a new entry in the book of proofs regarding to, regarding the, um, one of these two, like, very, very powerful swords, um, Nagoles or Seligon backwards, basically. Um, and then we basically learned that Blacksley was had gone missing in the library, and we were all kind of wondering where he had gone to. And I think he had that was the point. He said, you know, he needs needs Delencia to go to the Soul Spire, and he like he knows what his purpose now is. And you went through the um, auditorium, and you found Gaston down on the ground, having been bitten by something. By a book. Um, I think he was uh, attacked by the the book. It got free and started biting him and attacking him. 
uh, and you came to the conclusion that something was happening with the magic inside the library. And then uh, Tavros told you that, well, there's more people using it, so it becomes more powerful or more active. The magic becomes more powerful and active when more people use it. So that happened. Um, what happened to the forge, uh, the person who was making the weapon at the forge? Oh, we f***ed him over. <laughs> Real bad. He's probably dead. His soul's probably forfeit. Um. <laughs> he had made a con- Solgar Mud. Um, had made a contract with Asia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was like, oh, finish the sword and then you're free. But you have to bring it to me first. And so we tricked him and said, oh, we're going to bring it to her. And he's like, oh, as soon as you do that, I'm going to be free. And then we didn't do that. I mean, to be fair, uh, I also kind of helped the uh, Valor free oh, yeah. himself. So he may have just died there. His soul's already gone to Glacia. <laughs> I Unless mean, we managed to escape there somehow. I'm surprised no one said, hey, why don't you come with us to deliver the sword to Glacia? Yeah, pro- but then he'd figure it out at some point and be like, oh, you betrayed me. And we'd have to deal with possibly Glacia coming after him and his soul. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we kind of damned someone. <laughs> yeah. I don't think my patron is very happy about that. No. They're not my patron, my Honest. At least the rest. Because every time I kill someone, it hits me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might be a problem. Hey, yeah. I'm chaotic neutral. I never said I was good. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, on my cheat right there. <laughs> <laughs> I've never pretended to be a good person. <laughs> I tried, kind of. <laughs> I was slightly also really worried about that Baylor, and uh, it was about to come loose and weird. I just, yeah. So the other thing that happened was um, where Imran had signed the contract with the devil, that finger reacted when the book creature was, was being restrained. And a drop of Imran's blood caused it to calm down, but then that that finger wouldn't stop bleeding, and it burned. Yeah, it hurt. So, so there's something happening there that's maybe not so great. Um, but yeah, I think that's everything that happened, right? I don't, I don't think we missed anything. So the question is then, what do you want to do now? <laughs> Well, the last thing that happened was us coming back and talking to the queens about everything we had done, mm-hmm. getting them up to date on stuff. Um, we planned out what we were planning to do, um, sending three Hawka ships out to uh, a, a distance out of the bay to keep an eye out for an undead army and and have them... Uh, we had we had three sending scrolls made up for them so that they can um, contact us and let us know when they spot the army. And their orders were to 
as soon as they spot the army, send the message and then flee back to the harbor so that when the uh, waters drain, they're not caught out in the open. Mm-hmm. Um, so who, we have that. Made those sc- those scrolls for you? Um, that was the, uh, our friend, uh, can't stop it. <laughs> it was Hubertus. Hubertus. Yeah. Um, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> um, I keep tossing him off and he just jumps back up. Uh, <laughs> he knows it's cat. snack time. <laughs> it's not snack time, cat. You don't get fed to late. Um, <laughs> So that was done. And then when we told Delencia that mm, uh, the message we had been given from um, Chilling Quest that Nogalos must be dispatched with Delencia, she was like, oh, that means I have to go to Soulforge. And we were like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> I, and we decided that give it once we had, you know, contacted as many people as we could and gotten the word... <sighs> started to spread about getting off or out of the ocean um, we'd go with Delencia to help with that and figure out what Chilling Quest was up to and hopefully keep the queen from dying because that would not be ideal Is there anything that you want to do before you accompany Delencia to what she's referring to as the Soul Forge? I don't, well, we have everything else in motion. Um, we were just talking uh, before we started about the possibility of, at the very least, asking Lurk Tobik to come along as protection both for Delencia and us. Um, act as a like first-line defense. Um, so that it's not just us. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think Lord Tobik would say no to protecting his queen, her queen. Um, everything else was set in motion at the end of last episode, I think, in terms of setting everything up and sending out the messages, um, including to Marcel's people who apparently heard about the sword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there was a pretty, we basically had a pretty heated discussion with the queen about, you know, well, we have a way to undo this thing, but we want to warn, essentially warn the world first. And she was pretty insistent on just do it already and be done with it. Um, we managed to manage to buy, so, I think, buy some time to essentially spread this message using as, yeah, many, we were... as many, many networks and resources and contacts as we as we have, which isn't a lot. But and we yeah. were basically, I think, confronting the notion that you know, no matter what we try to do. You know, this is going to be a world-shattering event, and we're not going to be able to warn probably everybody in time. Right. We had set seven days as our max limit, but we were going to pull the plug earlier as soon as the army came within sight. And that, what the idea was to have the Hawka out at, at a distance so that if we pulled the plug there was a decent chance to strand the army the on at the very least strand them on land and not in the lake that we're assuming is going to return to being a lake um, once the water starts to drain. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of assumptions there, but <laughs> <laughs> we're working with the information we have. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And yeah, just making sure that the other ships are all within the harbor so they don't get dragged out to sea. Uh, you are... Who are you asking to go with you? Lord Tobik. Lord Tobik to go with Delencia so that... Um, anyone else? Problem... Well, if we're not using the, the curiosity for this outing, then I suppose we could ask if anyone else, like if Delencia wants to take anyone else. Um, I mean, she she doesn't want to go anywhere without at least four elite guards. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's fine. Say that again, Nina. I'm assuming she has because she was the one that offered this trip to us. So I'm assuming she has some kind of plan on how to get there. So she might be able to transport her own people. What were you going to say, Matt? Say like um, with plane shift, the most that I, the most that we can take is nine. That's including the three of us. Okay, so she could potentially take uh, Lord Tobig and four guards. Question is, if Blacksley's already there and we want to bring him back, how do we do that? Uh, word of recall, only up to five. I can only bring five people back. Mm, that's a problem. <laughs> Is it though? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. I mean, it could be right. Uh, I apologize. Um, I'm looking at spells. I've been looking at spells this entire time, so I'm sorry. I'm not. <laughs> The other thing we could ask is if Hubertus can make a spell scroll of plane shift so that we have a way back without a... I have plane shift. Or you can take plane shift instead of word of recall. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It does mean reserving that spell slot. Yeah. Um... I would need a forked metal rod worth at least 250 gold attuned to this plane. And I can shift nine people. Again, if Axley's already there, Blacksley's already there, that might be a problem. But what are the odds that someone's going to (laughs) die? Pretty high. Are there any, out of curiosity, are there any teleportation circles? I mean, other than in the library, are there any any teleportation circles in the uh, in the city, like elsewhere in the city? In the abbey. Hmm. Because maybe we maybe instead of we could just ask for like a teleportation circle scroll, and that could bring everybody. Um, mm. That's just yeah. That's that's fair. And and Hubertus will more than likely have teleportation uh, circle because. He's the main wizard of the castle. Well, uh, but no one uh, was allowed to. Um, but that was after the sinking, wasn't right. it? Yeah. And Hubertus is a lot older than that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he may not have it prepared, but he probably has it in his spell book. Mm-hmm. Besides. No one uh, is different than the queen needs to use a teleportation circle. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. You have a point. 
<laughs> no magic cast seems to not apply to Hubertus either, so. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, here I am realizing that a lot of my spell choices were considering my friend's spell choices, and now we're a bard short. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any bard spells that I could have taken instead um, that were missing, because... Our flying options have always been um, Konos's fly spell since you upcast it automatically. So you kind of, by default, cast it on the whole party. Just, just a short word of warning, um, the group invisibility is no longer an option for us. That's what he Yeah, I was trying to figure out what, was this, what spell was he using that... Yeah, I can still do it, but it's only for myself now. Hmm. Trade-off is I can do it whenever I want to. <laughs> the question is, do we need it? Because like I have a greater invisibility, which is the better option, and I can twin spell that one because it is never uh, upcast to more people, so it is eligible for um, twin spell. So I could potentially concentrate on two people being greater invisibilityed. And that means you can cast an attack and do whatever while invisible, um, and it will not break invisibility. The only thing that would is if I take damage and lose concentration on the spell, or if I, con- if I start concentrating on something else. Which I have a lot of concentration spells, because there's a lot of concentration spells, especially higher <laughs> up, but um, yeah, if we need invisibility, I can get two people invisible. So there's that. Would there be any chance we could go shopping for some better armor? Sure. I mean, you can go I mean, shopping in, in the Royal Manor's uh, armory and they'll probably give it to you. <laughs> I don't think that you necessarily need to, um, you know. If they have plate mail, I would love that. They have plated armor. Plate mail. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they can give you. Yeah, so so uh, put that on there. Because that would be amazing because that would up my armor class from 16 to 20. And that yeah. would be nice. You only had 16? I, I know, because my dex is so low, and uh, I only had medium armor on and a shield. AC 14 mm-hmm. plus stealth. My stealth is zero. The shield is plus two. So I can get some better armor. Yeah, 20 is an improvement. Makes you yeah. harder, harder to hit. We'll get some studded leather then. Studded leather then. Right. 17. I don't use armor. I just have mage armor. <laughs> I just cast mage armor. It's level That's one spell. Funny. Does Delencia look like, is she getting like into plate armor as well? Like what kind of? Um, hold on one second. Uh, she probably is uh, getting into armor. Okay. I don't think she's, uh, she's probably letting Lord Tobik give her, um, equipment and I'm sure that she can fight, uh, through training, but it's probably been a while since she's actively done much, at least to yeah. you, that's the way it seems. I was just asking cause I can, I could twin spell mage armor on her if not mm. to give her that protection, but if she's got her own then that works. 
yeah, she's she's uh, going to be wearing some nice heavy armor. So, uh, so what you want is for Hubertus to um, do a teleportation, if possible, is what you're saying, or give us a teleportation scroll to go back. Uh, well, yeah, no, it was the uh, make it a scroll of teleportation, teleport circle, so that we can use that to come back, possibly just via the library one, which is still in the city. And that means that if we pick up anyone on the other side, um, no one's left behind. Okay, so you don't want to use the one in the abbey. Oh, the abbey, you're talking about the abbey in the castle. The actual abbey in town has teleportation oh, okay. circle. Um, I mean, that's fine. Yeah, the abbey works. That way, if we have injured, they can be seen to immediately. Um, I mean, at this point, if you tell the queens what you think is best, Hubertus will do what you think is yeah. best. It's just a matter of what you're thinking it's going to be. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, that makes sense for me because, like, one, it means that even if we need to cast all our spells, we have a scroll to get back. And therefore, even if, I don't know if what rules we're using for scrolls, but I believe we're using that. Like if anyone can read the scroll, they can cast it. And we have three casters. So even if one of us is unconscious or dead, the other one can still go back. So that means if we lose the casters that have the teleportation means we're not stuck there and without a, a way to come back mm-hmm. because it's just a scroll. Right. Um, so I think that's the safest way to ensure that we have a way back both for ourselves, but also for the queen. So teleportation circle works to the Abbey so that any injured can be treated um, or seen to immediately. Okay. Um, we can't teleport circle there because we don't have a, we don't know the circle if of any circle there, but that's our way out basically. And it looks like, uh, a, uh, the other thing that would be needed to get there would, I guess would be seeing if the queen has a tuning fork that is attuned to the soul spire. Cause that's what's needed for plane shift. You mean in terms of the, yeah. So, in terms of knowing where to go. Well, yeah, you can't, you, you need a tuning fork attuned to the plane that you want to go to for a plane shift. That's the material component for the spell. That's the fork that Imran was talking about. Correct. Yeah. So I guess the question is, does the castle have a tuning fork that is attuned to the soul spire and whatever plane that soul spire is on that we can use? Otherwise, how else was Delencia planning to get to the Soul Spire? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we waiting for the bus. <laughs> yeah, no, she um, she was going to have Hubertus make a teleportation circle and have him take it there. Teleportation circle requires you to know the access point, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That's correct. So they have a teleportation circle memorized from that is in the soul spire. So Delencia, remember, has coordinates. Does that work? Okay, so the coordinates are enough for a teleportation circle. At least she thinks so. Okay. 
<laughs> I guess we'll find out. Yeah. That works. It means we don't have to worry about um, our warlock using one of his spells. Very limited mm-hmm. spell slot. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Hubertus is creating a scroll for you to use in case you need help getting back. And he's also he's going to go to the abbey with you and he will tune that teleportation circle to the place that Delincia tells him. We don't necessarily have to worry about using teleportation spells ourselves to get there. Correct. Right. The- okay. Theoretically, if Delincia is correct, if her if all of her teaching and family lore knowledge is correct, it will take you uh, to the correct place wherever she needs to go to fulfill this task that she has, basically. Do we know anything about like the environment in the uh at the Soul Spire? Like will we need any kind of protection or anything when we get there? So um Delincia says that the um the the so the thing about the soul spire is that when you when you think of the soul spire it seems like a uh flowing constantly moving area not like a place but when you go to where the kind of um the place where souls are separated from the bodies basically and and either given to the soul spires so that they can so th- theoretically what's supposed to happen is they uh the person passes away right the individual passes away and the um the raven queen is supposed to judge the soul right but the thing is that you go into the soul spire while you're waiting to be judged right and then you're judged, this is what Delincey is telling you, and then you're judged, and you either you go to whatever plane is the plane that you're that you're judged to belong to after death, right? Your soul belongs to. Um, but there is a point in there where the soul has to be riven, right? It has to be separated from the spark of the soul has to be separated from the actual mortal coil. Right, detached from the common plateau, so that it can be assigned to whatever place, right, and, and then it goes into the soul spire. That place where that happens is a place. It's not just sort of this ethereal, weird thing in the middle of the soul spire, and that's where you're going. Okay, um, it's in a relatively unknown location, right? It's not like oh, you're going to this library somewhere. Or, oh, you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to go to the, uh, to your island that you came from, right? Or, oh, you're going to go to the, the, uh, royal manor. It's, it's a location that is, uh, kind of a pocket dimension of its own where this happens. And it has a name called the Stone Road. Stone Road to Long Walk. So where you're going is the Stone Road. Great. And so you're going to take Lord Tobik, Queen Delincia, 
the three of you, and then four of her elite guards. Is there anything else that you want to take? Mm, don't think so. Is there any other equipment that you... I guess the question I still have is where exactly are we sending Axley? Are we... Is he going to the library or is he going to Allegra Hammer see what he can find out there? That is up for the three of you to decide, I guess. I am very curious about this Allegra. Mm -hmm. I I think it might be more interesting if you want to see Allegra and see what he can find out about Do we know how long this, like, once we're there, how long Valencia, Aaron? So it sort of depends, right? So so basically, um, she's pretty sure that Blacksley is is at the Soul Spire and, or at least at the Stone Road where the beginning of the Soul Spire is, and doing whatever it is that he's doing. And so, it he she she doesn't really know what he's doing all the way, right? So she can't really tell you how long it's going to take because whatever he's doing, if it disrupts everything, she has to fix it. Yeah. We told her that he, we, we believe that he is the, the soul of Cornelius Adrian and that kind of gave her ideas. Um, yeah, we don't know how long it's going to take. It could take a couple hours, it could take a couple days, but I'm betting on probably the hours. <laughs> I mean, you know, she's not, they're not equipping her and packing a bunch of rations, right? Like they're, they're assuming it's going to be relatively quick and they'll either know that it's going to be fixable or everything's going to go wrong. And then they'll probably have to teleport out anyway and bring back more reinforcements or something. So in terms of that, it seems like she's expecting it to, right. But you know, once they figure out everything, she might assess the situation and say, oh, I, that we have to do some kind of ritual that takes hours, right? Like, you just yeah. don't know. You have no idea what's in her head. All She's not really very forthcoming telling you anything. She's basically saying, you know, I just, I have to go. Based on her other excursions, I'm kind of guessing less than a day, basically. Anywhere from an hour to almost a day. But yeah. if yeah. it's more than that, we'll probably have to head back anyways. Right. Yeah, and she's not. I guess that, like I said, they're not. They're not like packing for a week long trip. They they haven't. They haven't brought any rations. They're basically equipped up. They're they're armored up. They've got their weapons, yeah. and they've got a way to get back. And that's that. They're kind of packing light in that in terms of that, right? But if we use teleportation circle, then I believe we can just have actually teleported to the abbey. To the was it abbey? The uh, Seminary of St. Abdar? The Seminary of St. Abdar. And to have him basically speak with Allegra Hammer, figure out what he can do there, and then come back the same day. So basically same time frame as us. Yeah, so uh, you don't know where... You don't have coordinates to the seminary. Okay, All you know so- is the previous... You know the previous location was in the Great Dam Forest. Okay, I wasn't sure if we had found any like teleportation circle information in the library when we were looking. That Not up. that you know, because remember, all of the all of the books by Allegra Hammond were not very informative. They were 
Remember, uh, uh, Tefatis wrote all kinds of like recipe style books about, oh, here's how we did this and here's how we tried this and here's what we did next and here's what of that worked and here's what didn't work. And it was very like instructive and, you know, he was very interested in Tefatis wrote books that were very instructive in terms of here's all the stuff we did and here were the results of it so that people coming behind them could learn and not make the same mistakes or not waste time on the same things that didn't work. But Allegrae Hammond, his, his books were um, more esoteric and not as easy to get through in terms of what is this trying to tell us? It was more, uh, you know, you're going to have to spend hours reading these to figure out what use this is. It was very, very um, academic, you know. Uh, so you don't, you, and it wasn't, um, it didn't have any coordinates. All okay. you know is where it used to be. So if we send Axley, he'd have to go basically overland to where we think the Great Dam Forest is, and hopefully he finds it. Well, so you could actually uh, probably, you might be able to teleport him to where the Great Dam Forest is, but the actual seminary, he would have to search for it. I feel like that's risky, given we have no idea when that army's going to arrive, because he'd have no quick way yeah. back even if he was sending to the information that, hey, get back here. So I think our best option in that case would be to leave him in the library looking for information um, on what, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what information else we needed. I mean, um, he could search for exact coordinates. You didn't spend could, a lot of yeah. time looking for He that. could search for exact coordinates or just have him there with um, our crew, basically, and helping out in the blockade. Mm -hmm. Leave him as acting captain for the Haka and and our army, basically. Do <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. you know who else is, like, using the library? I don't think... Gaston is. Um, Gaston <laughs> and uh, Makotum. And oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Makotum. I think it was just Sorry. them, plus us. Yeah, and that like yeah, I, I would I would default to like having him help out with the blockade and the Haka, like acting as. Okay. So we don't have just Shark Face being the face of that group. Not that he's not doing a great job, mm -hmm. but. So as I understand it, you all are ready to go through the teleportation process to go with Delencia and some of her uh, elite guards to the Stone Road. Correct. Yes. Okay. So um, you teleport in, and you find yourself in a cavern um, with a sinkhole directly behind you. So that's, that's what you're looking at there in the lower left. Uh, is a big sinkhole, and in fact, it's so weak that as you sort of lean over to look down to see if you can see the bottom, you you have that um, that sort of uh, stereotypical like a few pebbles fall down as you're looking down there, and you see them just kind of go down into the darkness. Um, there are stalactites all over the ceiling 
they are dripping water, so the floor of the cavern that you're in is a little tiny bit wet. Um, there are also some stalagmites on the floor, and there's a couple of natural pillars. Uh, uh, like this right here is a natural pillar, not just a rock, okay? This is a natural pillar. This is a natural pillar. So it's not something, in other words, that you could climb on, but it's something that you could hide behind. And these these areas here that are sort of protruding out, those are the stalagmites, okay? There is a, uh, looks like over in this area, this passageway out right here, looks like it sort of uh, is it has an incline of some sort. Um, however... You don't have a lot of time to investigate that because as you teleport in, um, Lord Tobik, who is directly in front of Queen Delincia, says to the entire group, uh, on the lookout, there's movement. And as those words are being spoken, you see coming out from behind... Uh, little outcroppings and various things, uh, various uh, uh, behind from some of hidden behind some of these pillars, are these creatures that are sort of these um, slathering, uh, stinky, very thin uh, creatures. That one would be there. Um, that have sort of stepped out of the darkness and are drooling all over and sort of starting to shamble towards you. They are uh, obviously undead of some sort, and they are aggressive. Now, you're not surprised because when you came through this teleportation process, you knew there might be something very dangerous on the other side, so there is no surprise, but uh, we do need to roll initiative. I rolled a 16. The same. 24. 8. I rolled a 9 for your allies. So it's going to go Konos, Emerin, Creatures, Allies, and then Marcel. Okay. Konos, you're up. You have just okay. shake, shaken off the odd sensation of teleporting, and you can see beyond Delencia and Tobik there are uh, creatures moving in the cavern towards you. Okay. Um, then I'll start by casting Eldritch Blast, um, three shots, and I'm just going to split them up. So basically one at basically the, the one next to guard one, the one two spaces to the right of guard two, and the one at Basically, the three that are closest to us. The one, yeah. two spaces right of guard three. So, one, two, and five will be the ones I'm shooting at. Okay. Uh, for the first one is a 14 to hit. That hits. Okay. For, for 11 points of force damage. Okay. Uh, the second one is a 17 to hit. For 13 points of force damage. Okay. And, and the last one is a 16 to hit for 8 points of force damage. Okay. Uh, and I'll end my turn there. Okay, so I put an orange ring on the ones that uh, 
have been injured. And uh, so that's Konos, Imarin. I would like to destroy undead. Okay. If at all possible. What um, does that do for you? I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> Is that a cleric? Um, it's a cleric. It's a channel divinity. It's a channel divinity. Yeah. But it, it just, the only thing it says in D&D Beyond is when an undead fails its saving throw against your turn undead featured, it is instantly destroyed if its CR is lower than the threshold for your level. Okay, so... Now, that's... what the saving throw is... is It'll be the question. same as your spell uh, save DC. I would imagine wisdom saving then. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like normally it's like turn. Yeah, it's like it's the same as turn undead. It's just if they fail, they just go away okay. permanently. Okay. Yeah, it's it's powered up turn undead because you're high level. Yeah. So any yeah. so the the table is that um, since you're fourteenth or higher <laughs> level, yeah, their CR if their mm-hmm. CR is three or lower, they're destroyed instead of turned. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Um, and so. It is. DC 17, Wisdom Saving Throw. All right, so I'll start at the top. Number one, rolled a four, failed. Number two, rolled a seven, or 13, failed. Number three, rolled a one, failed. Number four, 14. What is it, 17? 17. Yeah. 17, yeah, okay. Five, failed. Six, failed. Every single one of these, gone. Nice. <laughs> That's what I was hoping. <laughs> uh, and the ones you didn't see yet are also gone. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, is it a 60-foot radius? Uh, that's a good question, actually. Oh, within 30 feet. That's 30 okay. Feet. Uh, okay. Yeah, you'd still, you could still affect all of these. Um, so <laughs> all of these are going bye-bye. They so tell me this, Imarin. How does your mm-hmm. destroy undead manifest to destroy these creatures? Imarin just clutches her holy symbol and kind of like raises an eyebrow, and you just see them all like teeny tiny little like thunderclouds form above them and just like hit them with a lightning bolt and they just disappear. And like there's like six or seven different teeny tiny lightning clouds and they all just kind of like get zapped and. Dissipate. Nice. Nice. <laughs> um, Lord Tobik turns to you and says, well done. Thanks. That was fun. Uh, <laughs> Delincia just smiles. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what would you like to do? So there is a passageway over to the side here. And looks like there's an incline up. Um, and I think that, uh, Lord Tobik will have the guards go unless you want to go first. Mm, I think we're okay with them leading the way. I want to put, uh, apologies if I missed this, but is there like decent light in here or is it pretty dark? There's no light. Um, so in fact, one of these guards, this guard right here lit a torch so that he could see, so that she could see. They're all women. Um, so that's what the yellow light or the yellow ring around it is. Um, okay. I'll cast Dancing Lights as well. Okay. Uh, so that'll do four torch, basically four torches 
uh, in front and behind us. So two okay. in front, two behind. So that um, it's only a 10-foot radius mm-hmm. uh, of dim light. Okay. So it's not as bright as the torch. Okay. But that gives us a bigger, just a something I can control. Because mm-hmm. I can move those forward up to like 60 feet ahead. Okay. Are you going to move them down the passageway then? Yeah. Okay, so the passageway is actually a set of stairs going up. They are roughly cut into the stone. And as the lights move up and as the uh, couple of the guards move up, you see that the sort of stairs come up and curve a little bit away. And these guards start uh, filing up this area. Um, actually, the one with the light went, even though you've got your... Yeah, I'll use my lights as a kind of scout up ahead. Mm-hmm. Um... Yep. Also, um, I want to cast uh, Arcane Eye. Okay. Um, so that creates a 30-foot... It's an invisible sensor that has normal vision and dark vision up to 30 feet. It can look in every direction, and I can move it up to 30 feet away from us, from way to me. Uh, there's no limit to how far away it can move, but it can't enter another plane of existence. It can't pass through solid barriers, but it can go through basically small cracks. So I'll basically just have that out about maybe 60 feet or so ahead of, ahead of the frontmost guard. Okay. Um, as you're sending that out up in front, you hear the guard yell... A couple of the other guards start running up behind um, because this guard fell prey to my bad dice rolling and <laughs> did not notice the pit that Oof. is here and fell down the pit. Um, oh, no. And this is why you get hirelings. That's right. <laughs> That pit looks like it has a spiky bottom. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. Um, number two fell in and also then failed their save. Um, the other two guards rush up and try to help said guard out of the pit. They do uh, put a python in the door so that you can see where the opening is. They can easily take the python out so that they can go by it or they can try to python it closed. But the question is, do you want to leave it so that uh, another fleeing creature could accidentally trigger it or do you want to stabilize it and make sure it stays closed? We have no need of coming back this way because our exit is via magic. So perhaps getting past it and resetting that trap would possibly work in our favor. Unless we're the ones fleeing from something else and not. Uh, like you said, why would we be coming back this way? The only reason I can think of is if we're, if, if we're attacked by something and we need to retreat. Sure. But I don't know how likely that is. I think it's okay to reset. I think we'll be all right. Yeah, just leave it. And if not, just remember it's here and potentially look out for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so, so every, we'll... everyone can easily make their way past it. Okay. 
the question is, what kind of marching order do you want? Do you still want to send the guards forward? Yeah. Okay. Though we have, so we have the sensor for the arcane eye first, 60 feet in front of the guards. Mm-hmm. We go. have yep. the dancing lights between the guards and the, and the arcane eye. Um, then the guards, then Tobik, and then the rest of us with Delencia. We don't want to leave Delencia at the back just in case something somehow shows up behind us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That is a really creepy eye. Isn't that creepy? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Konos did put it on there, right? So. <laughs> yeah. That's on. That's on brand for me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so go ahead and roll me a perception check for everyone. 21. Okay. Uh, 12. 18 plus 5, uh, 23. Um, Konos and Marcel hear lots of shuffling and odd noises in the... Uh, in the room beyond the stairway. Also some um, nasty chomping kind of noises. Do you want to send the arcane eye? Since it's invisible? Yes, I do. Yeah. Let's go check we'll that out. To the, to the guards to stop. And just like quiet. As quiet <laughs> as guards can be wearing, I assume, something like plate armor. <laughs> yeah, they're not very quiet. Um, so in this room are, um, several more of your good friends, the nasty undead hungry things. They are clustered around a couple of piles of bones and they are gnawing on said bones. Um, and there's also a bigger one, whoops, a bigger one. In this corner. So you see six more of these nasty, ugly things. I'll let everybody know that there's more trouble up ahead. Um, what do you recommend? Amarin, how many times can you do that destroy thing? Two more? Or do it two? twice per short rest. I have one more. Okay. We might want to hold on to that. I was going to say, I have other things I can do with it, though. Yeah. Um, I think we can... Are there, like, places we can kind of hide and sneak if the three of us... Well, maybe not. <laughs> no, doesn't matter. There's too many hiding places in there. Mm-hmm. We could all step back into the previous room and make some clamor to see if we can lure some of them into that pit. Good idea. Mm, funnel them into the, the yeah, into the tunnel. That's not a bad idea because then we can snipe them as they come mm-hmm. um, and not have them mob the guards. Right. It'll take a minute to backtrack because we'll have to reset the it so we can get across and then retrap it, right? Yeah, so we can put the guards uh, basically place the guards here and we can wait here to uh, range 
any that actually start climbing out of the pit. Mm -hmm. So we'll back up back to this area. So you're going back to the original room? Yeah, we're going to try luring them down the hallway so that they can, they, they're coming in single file and have to cross the pit area. Okay. So we'll put the guards on where basically where Tobik and Delencia are and Becca, the rest of us, um, so that the guards act as a... Uh, okay, and what are you going to do to lure them out? Noise. <laughs> okay. And I'll also, and I'll also cast... Just... Go for it. Oh, I was I, I was gonna cast like silent image and just make like a, a version of myself appear like in in sight somewhere in sight of of them and then just start moving backwards or to try to lure them back as well. Okay. Um, I think I'm you can swords against uh, shields basically yep. just. Yeah, so you can easily do that. So um, you're probably gonna have three of them follow you back, maybe even four of them. Um, so here's the thing is that, uh, so, uh, the guard then is going to have to fight them. So, I mean, so, we're holding spells for as soon as we see them. If they do not fall in the pit, we're shooting them. They're not going to fall in the pit. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I rolled a 20 on their <laughs> perception. <laughs> Fair. They just jump uh, over it. Um, I see. Yeah, they just—they just—they happen to just shuffle the right way to not let it uh, pivot in. <laughs> um, so uh, go ahead and roll. Somebody roll me a d twenty. Twelve. Okay. Um, roll another one for me. Okay. Twenty. Yeah. So so um. These two guards right here can easily wipe out all four of these nasty, oh, oh. ghoulish, horrible things. Because you funneled them into a place where they had no. nowhere else to go. And they could only attack probably one at a time. So, um, you know, the Queen's Elite guards are no joke, even though one of them accidentally fell into the pit. They're actually <laughs> pretty good. Um, I mean, we're, they have us backing them up as well. With- right. Slinging spells between them, right. so yeah. So, um, so now you have a room here with. Um, by the way, this this uh, large um, undead thing has armor on. Okay. Well, we cleaned out most of them. Sure, we can take the others. So these these will all move forward. The question is, are you going to send the guards in to do the fighting, or are you going to go in yourselves? Or both? I'd say both. We'll send the guards up yeah. front to keep them occupied and back them up like we did before. Okay. Um, that one runs into the room with the torch. Um, none of them run up to the large one. <laughs> That's fair. They're not crazy. <laughs> um but uh, uh, roll me two d20s. I'll do one. Two. I'll do one. Five. Five. <laughs> roll again. They get two attacks. Okay. One. Eighteen. <laughs> uh, so uh, roll me some damage, um, Matt. Okay. Uh, what am I rolling? It's going to be one d10. Oh, no, I take that back. Sorry. 2d6. 
okay. Eight. Okay, so they did not kill them. Um, and so I think we need to roll initiative. They were actually a little bit surprised because they thought that uh, the person that they thought they would take care of whatever noise was happening. I rolled a 19. I got a 10. Uh, 14. My dice are rolling garbage. <laughs> uh, Nina, what did Imran get? Sorry, 10. Okay. Um, I rolled a 17 for the queen. So 19 for the creatures, 17 for the queen. Who got the 14? I did. Konos. And then uh, who has a better dex, Imran or Marcel? Marcel. Okay. Yeah. All right, so the creatures get to go first. Um, this first creature right here is going to attack the elite guard. The elite guard has an armor class of 18. These poor, poor fools. This is such a... They're like sitting ducks. <laughs> All right. Yeah, nope. And nope. So that's not a hit. The second one's going to attack guard number four. Nope. And nope. And then this large one comes forward. And that large one is going to attack guard number two. And hits twice. Guard two. Guard two is already hurt. Ooh. Um, you see this thing slice at guard two and hit guard two. And then it leans in and it takes a huge chunk out of guard number two's neck. And guard number two just falls to the ground. That's not good. Um, and then it is the guard's turn. So go ahead and roll me a d20 for their attacks versus uh, the little ones. Just see if they can take those little ones out. Five. <laughs> I got a 12 and a four. Okay, the 12 is going to hit. You said two. Uh, I got a five and a third. Uh, the thir All you need is a 12 to hit, so. Yeah, I got a 13 on one of them. And the damage so is seven. six. Yeah. 11. Uh, so, yeah, so that one goes away. And this one is still up. Um, and then it is Konos' turn. Okay, that big one needs to go away. I'm going to cast Banishment on it. Okay. <laughs> um, and actually, I can target the one last... I'm, I'm gonna, I might as well target the last last ghoul as well, because I can target two creatures with this now. Okay. Um, so they need, to make, they need to make charisma saves, please. Okay. Um, is Arcane Eye concentration? Uh, it is, so it'll go away. Okay. But I can cast, but I can cast it at will. Oh, okay. Okay, so the little ghoul gets a negative because it has a negative to its charisma, so it's it's going to be gone. Yeah. Whoop. Uh, the big one... 18 is the DC. Okay. The big one... <laughs> oh. uh, I rolled a three, so it's gone. <laughs> okay. So I was like, 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 in fact, it's like a little whirlpool just opens up underneath their feet and it just gets sucked in. <laughs> but they'll be back in a minute, so we have to go. Okay. 
<laughs> so we should move. Okay. <laughs> they kind of go, hey! <laughs> as they're getting sucked down the whirlpool. <laughs> um, okay, so you lost your arcane eye, and uh, you lost one of the elite guards. Tobik is down administering uh, any help that she can give, and there really is none, so uh, they kind of delivered what amounts to the last rites. Um, and uh, the queen says, we can't leave the body here. All right. Um, I, mean, I guess I can carry it. Okay. Um, so this passageway slopes up again, up into this direction. There is, by the way, a ton of just gnawed on bones, some nasty, like, horrible, dirty pieces of cloth, bloodstains on the ground. I mean, it's really disgusting. This is not a good place to be. Quite the atmosphere I expected. Yeah. Um, well... Delincia either. This was not uh, how it was described to her as the way that things work here. What you see is the passageway moves up and there is an intersection. So the guard with the light will go first. This intersection has uh, four different directions you could go in. So then the question is, which way do you go? Um, if we stand at the intersection, can we see down them? Um, the, you can see a little bit. The, um, the area in here is obscured, but it smells really disgusting. And what you do see has a lot of flesh and bones, uh, pretty disgustingly gnawed on. This passageway to, uh, the north here seems to be more stairs up and same with this one to the east well I'd say either of the northern ones shall we try the right hand side first try to keep a hand on the right wall sure All right. so as you as the guards move up here this area opens into a larger chamber and there is the smell of um, brimstone and sulfur. There is also a polished wooden coffin in an alcove to the west with a desk and a nice, comfortable chair with a low table. And then over to the right, or to the east in this case, there is just a pile of what looks to be furs and blankets and tapestries. There does not appear to be anybody in here. Um, but you can give me a perception check. Six. Oh. 23. Uh, six. <laughs> six. Six and 23. Um, Konos, you think that you hear a faint growling noise, like a dog growling. Can I tell where it's coming from? It sounds like it's coming down the hallway to the north. 
to the north of this okay. big room. Uh, again, I'll, again, I'll let everybody know there's, you know, there's something something ahead of us. We may want to either try to move quietly or take the other path. Do you want me to go check it out? Um, <laughs> it could be one of the dogs you're looking for. Ooh, yeah. Good point. Um, yeah. It might, one of, it might be one of Delencia's kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to... Does anyone want invisibility? Because it's now or never. Are we all going? Because I have disadvantage on stealth. You know, like, I could... Okay, so greater invisibility does only last for one minute. So I could twin spell it to Konos, and the two of us can go check it out. Konos, you have dark yeah. vision, right? I do. I've got, like, true sight. Okay, yeah, that's even better than better dark off. vision. <laughs> okay. Because um, of the rope. I... Right... Do I have dark vision? Apparently not. Okay. Uh, great. <laughs> but I have dark vision. God damn it. All right. Um, <laughs> wah, wah. So, so I can't concentrate on two spells, but I can still cast. Um, you just have to lead me if, if we're going together, just so that you're not alone in case something okay. happens. Before the rest go, uh, get to us. So I'll cast greater invisibility, and I will. So this is a fourth level spell, and what's the spell's level? So that's four. Uh, firm and cast. All right, so we're both invisible, and we so can Konos, sneak Konos and. Kodos and Marcel okay. are both invisible. And now we'll sneak forward. Honestly, I can stay at the edge of the light. Because the light is, is I think it's, what, 2020? 20 bright, 20 dim from the torch? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so that where I'm at right now is the end of the dim light of the of the torch. I'll stay here and basically watch. Well, I can't watch Konos, but... I'll be closer to Konos, if anything. Okay. Okay. So you're, what are you going to do then? You're just going to wait there, or? I'll wait, and then Konos, you can go up ahead. You're invisible now. And yeah. see what you can find out. Yeah, I'll try to quietly scout ahead forward. Because you're still concentrating on the banishment spell. The, the banishment, yeah. Yeah. The problem is that 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 only lasts a minute, so that could they could pop back up right behind us mm -hmm. or behind everybody else. I mean. Yeah. Well, the visibility also lasts a minute, so you only have <laughs> so long yeah, sure, you're invisible time, yeah. too. <laughs> so make yeah. it quick. <laughs> when you say it like yeah. this, everyone, it just sounds like nothing lasts very long at all. <laughs> No. Well, that's the no. problem with greater invisibility. See, invisibility lasts, I think, like 10 minutes or an hour. I don't remember. I think it's 10 minutes. An hour. An hour. It's an hour. And greater lasts for a minute. And greater is just a minute, but you can, you know, attack things yes. while still invisible. <laughs> okay, so. so 
let me get this straight. Konos is going to go up this passageway where he okay. heard the dog growling. Is that what I'm hearing mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yes. Okay. He's the one with true sight anyway, so. True boy, it goes for a long while. Yeah, it's pretty far. Um, I'll just keep going. Try to quietly make my way up and keep my eyes and ears open. So, um, when you sort of round this corner, um, I need to make a perception check here. Because you still smell, even though you're invisible. Um, you round the corner sort of silently, and you see that this room opens into a larger area. Yep, there it is. And these two braziers that look lit in the picture are not lit. Uh, but the dog is doesn't look like it looks like on the token. It's actually one of those big, spiky, demonic-looking, very sort of relatively skinny, but with spikes. It has spikes around the neck. It has spikes going all the way down the back. It has spikes coming off of the elbows, um, which actually on dog are the ankles. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's what it looks like. This one does happen to be red, though. It's not the sort of uh, opalescent or multicolored or beige kind that you've been seeing before. It's also not a statue. And Kono says, you enter the room, it turns around and it sniffs the air. Meanwhile, I'm sending a message and going, so what's what's up ahead? Is it, is it one of your pups? Yes. I, I, as quietly as I can, I respond back, yes, and I think it smells me. Good. Knew I should have taken a shower before we came. <laughs> <laughs> we just haven't had time. I know, and just still smelling like seawater. Um, I'm going to look behind and motion to the others to come forward. Nope, because they can't see me. Um, I will send another message to uh, Tobik and let them know that there is a uh, a demonic dog up ahead. Uh, But can she talk back? Yeah, you can reply. Yeah. Okay. Uh, She says, do you want assistance? Uh, I'll send another message. Uh, This is once per turn. So if the dog is doing anything, like each message is... No, it's uh, just once standing Okay. Um, I don't know yet. I'll send another message to Konos. What do you want to do about the dog? I'm just trying to remember how, how we how I dealt with the last one. That's a good. I know because because that was a long long time ago. Did, didn't you just like touch it and went you're free now or something and it just like got absorbed into the trident? I know I absorbed. I just don't remember what I did to do it. Um, touch it. But that one was telling uh, you to free it. This one's not. <laughs> yeah. Alright. Um, I will use telepathy to try to communicate it with it and say, do you want to be set free of this place? What language do you speak that in? Oh. Um, um, I'll just comment. It does that weird, you know, that thing dogs do where it tilts its head like it's listening to something and it kind of 
like, huh? Uh, and it sniffs a couple more times and it takes like two steps forward and it's kind of warily trying to suss out what's going on. But it does not answer you telepathically. I can <laughs> smell you. <laughs> I know you're there. Yeah, it's, I mean, if it, if, if, it, if it understands at least one language, it says I can communicate to it. So mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be a shared language. I'm just I'm looking at I'm looking at the wording of tongues. I guess that wouldn't work with telepathy, would it? No, I mean, so you have every reason to believe it understood you. Okay, but it's not like reacting. But it's not reacting, and it did not respond with its own, in, you know, in its own language. It's just sort of what. I'll try again. Like, are you here by yourself, or are there others of your kind kind here with you? And you also do that in common? Yes. Um, it says... I'm with the Alpha. Are you more troops? Yes. We're no longer needed to... You are no longer needed to guard this place. Go back to the Alpha. Roll a deception check. Okay. 14. It sniffs, and then it runs off down the hallway this way. Turns out there's a hallway over there. Okay. Um, before I head back, can I really quickly just check out like, the area it was sitting in? Yeah, so um, this area here is... A set of candles that are not lit. I know the picture makes them look lit. They're not lit. But it is sort of a half circle of candles. Up in this northwestern corner, there is a little altar. And this statue that's on it is a statue of a dog, not a statue of whatever it's supposed to look like on here. There is blood. There's also a bowl next to it. And there's blood in the bowl, just like on the picture. And there is a sort of ceremonial dagger next to it. There are two braziers here uh, flanking these steps, but the braziers are not actually lit. Um, I'll take the dagger and the statue if they're if it's big enough or if it's small enough to carry. The statue is, even though it's on top of the altar, it's still like, you know, like five or oh, six feet pretty sizable. And five or six feet tall. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could you could probably with your strength you could probably pick it up. But it's it's going to be a little unwieldy uh, to carry around. Yeah, my strength's twenty one, but if it's that big, I'll just leave it leave it where it is. Yeah, yeah, you I will take the dagger though. Lift it, but yeah, it would be tough to. Okay, um, do those candles resemble the twelve or thirteen that we've been carrying around in a box that we kind of learned were like had some bad juju with them? Yeah, so those candles that you're carrying around, um, they were black with uh, the eye symbol scrolled into them. Right? Yeah. That's the same as yep. these. Oh, boy. Hmm. Okay, I'll, let's, I'll leave those there, because, yeah, those are pretty nasty, as I recall. Um, I will make my way back to the others and report in and say, you know, well, I think I tricked it into leaving, but there are more of them. Great. Uh, inclu- probably somewhere else, including an alpha. So this might be a chance to deal with that problem once and for all. Mm-hmm. Um. So is our is the minute uh, uh, the minute for the banishment has probably come up by now. Mm-hmm. 
um, before that came up, I would probably just message the group to at least come into the room where Marcel was so that they're out of the immediate hallway where the, um, the big guy was going to show up. Yeah, they all, they all <laughs> went in. I'm, I'm assuming Imran did too. I moved Imran. <laughs> yeah, and shortly after that, Konos and Marcel show up again. Okay. Um, I want to investigate the um, coffin. <laughs> not the coffin. Oh, they were. <laughs> okay. The death. <laughs> <laughs> really don't want to touch the coffin. Mm. <laughs> I do want to know what's in the desk, though. Um, there are some notes, and most of them are uh, notes that are just explaining or describing numbers and it's kind of weird, but keeping time. Um, but one of them is a letter from Laralac that says basically, uh, speed it up. We're almost ready. And there have been some disruptions. So hurry and then meet us back at the rendezvous point. And the letter is, does it say where the The letter is addressed to, Betet. Oh. oh boy. Okay. Uh, we need to move fast. This doesn't look good. Whatever yeah. they're planning to do here, they're almost done. Uh, it's, yeah, I think we're on the right track, though, so we should probably keep going this way. Sure. If this is, let's go. If this is the, like, sleeping area of whoever is in charge here. Does it say where the rendezvous point is on that letter? It does not. Okay. But the way it's written, it's pretty clear that there is a predefined designated spot. Which means unless they're done, they may not, at least Lairlock may be still waiting for this, whatever this guy's doing here to finish. So let's make sure he doesn't finish. <laughs> Yeah. Let's storm the castle. <laughs> uh, so one of the guards says, shouldn't we look in the coffin? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, if we, okay. if we find something in it, we can defeat it. If we leave it but behind, if there's something in it, it will be behind us. She does have a point. I mean, yes. Yeah. And also, and there's no bed here, so it's probably belong. That's probably like the resting place of whatever. Yep. I mean, on the other hand, there's a pretty heavy, pretty big statue a little ways up ahead. We could just use that, use that to weigh it down. Make sure <laughs> if there is something inside it. Make, we're gonna make sure it doesn't get out. Um. So roll a uh, <laughs> no, roll a, a history check. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. What's the scene? Uh, vampires or weaklings? <laughs> Twenty-four. So you know that uh, vampires can turn to mist and move through <laughs> very, very thin. Uh, yeah. So oh, putting a giant um 
statue on the coffin isn't really going to... If if there is indeed a vampire in there, it will not stop it from getting out. Yeah, let's just open it up. It's All right. Out of here, it would have already attacked us anyway. <laughs> I think we've made enough racket in here to wake up a <laughs> vampire. To wake the dead. Okay. So the question is, who's going to open the coffin then? Uh... I'll do it, but I'm going to cast protection from good and evil on myself first. Okay. <laughs> That's a good plan. I'm going to hold the sacred flame to see if anything comes out and attacks Konos. Okay. Yeah, I guess I'll hold a Eldritch Blast. <laughs> okay. Um, so, like, left hand on the bottom of the lid, right hand holding the trident, ready to, a ball, and ready to stab if stab, and then <laughs> flip the lid open. Okay. Uh the coffin is empty except for a small velvet bag. Is it poopery? <laughs> no. <laughs> Just make the coffin smell they better. Were, they were going to use that. You'd think they'd put it in the big pile of stinky furs in the corner. <laughs> I mean that's why that's why they'd need it inside their sleeping bed, right? Just just to like waft off the smell of the <laughs> I'll take a look at the velvet bag. Okay. Uh, inside, it has a, a pair of gold and ruby cufflinks, a pendant with a big ruby on it that has been uh, set into a symbol that looks like the eye symbol. It's on a gold chain. And a pair of gold bracelets that have... Um, symbols scrawled into the underside of them. Hmm. And no, no amethyst. Num- some numbers. But numbers. First, reckon- they resemble the numbers. Oh boy. What what numbers are they? Uh, the numbers are three five seven nine nine seven five three six one seven four. Three five seven nine nine seven five three six one seven four. Six one seven four is the most common one. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, that's the one by Fatima Kalomnia. Where else mm-hmm. is it? Is it okay. three five seven nine? Yeah, and three five seven nine. That's the only place I see that sequence. One shard to concentrate. After that one. Also, three five seven nine nine seven five three six one seven four is the set of numbers that were tattooed onto the queen's arm. Oh, okay. I will mention that to the to the queen. Say this seems to be appearing in other places besides just yourself. Well, judging by the condition of this place not being what I thought, it appears someone else found out how to get here. Perhaps that's how they kept track. Well, let's keep going then. I'll keep all this. Okay. Um, Onward. So, uh, are you going to... Is everyone going to go up to the room up in the top? Or are you going to leave people standing guard, I guess is the question. I think we should all go together. Yeah, I don't think we want to split up. 
Yeah. Okay. Because who knows what could be circling back behind us. Okay. So everybody goes up to the room up north. And now you all see what Konos saw, which is a half circle of those uh, candles with the symbols in them. Two unlit braziers flanking uh, the top of a set of three steps, which has an alcove at the at the uh, top of it that has uh, a um, has a, an altar of some sort with a statue of one of those dogs with all of the spines on it and a little bowl that has some blood in it. Hey, Konos. What if that statue is one of yours? The queen says, what do you mean one of yours? Uh, we've been encountering these dog-like creatures in everywhere we've been seeing Larolac's presence and also in other plains, but on other plateaus. They all seem to be lesser creatures bound to a much larger one. And they also seem to be connected to this to Bolum here. Hmm. That's not good news. No. This, this um, altar is a desecration of the soul spire. I don't think the dogs were here. Um, I, I think they're against their will. Didn't we think that, that the souls within the dogs were the children of Valencia? Valencia? Are you asking me? <laughs> I mean, I'll ask, I, I honestly don't remember because um, it's been so long. I don't, I don't know if they go back that far. Well, Volum said that they were his siblings. And we know that Volum is a child of Valencia. So that's kind of the conclusion that I had come to, at least, that, that it's possible that these dogs are where the, the children are sealed in. <laughs> Yeah. Then, yeah, because we turn essentially a turn one to stone. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll take Bolin and I'll just touch the touch the statue with it and see if there's any reaction. Uh, roll me a Constitution saving throw. <laughs> oh yeah, that happened last time too. <laughs> <laughs> see, see this. Uh, see, see when you, when you see when you've been playing a campaign that goes on for a long time, you you forget a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> To be fair, at least this time you're not dying like last time you did this. Uh, well, we'll see, because I rolled a seven. Um. <laughs> I don't know if protection from good and evil is going to give me any benefit here, but uh, <laughs> um, we're going to find out. Yeah, go ahead and, and roll as if you had advantage. Okay. Would you believe I got the same thing? <laughs> so, seven. You take 24 points of damage. Ow. But. Uh, what kind? Uh, psychic damage. Oh, I have resistance to that. Oh, so you take 12. Uh, so as that's ha happening, the reason. So what happens is you. The, um, the statue does that weird kind of t turning whirlpooly thing as if the uh, the 
material itself is kind of like fluid, although it's still a solid statue. So simultaneously, it looks like a solid statue sitting there, but also that it is turning into fluid and spinning around almost like a whirlpool and getting sucked into Bolum. And as it comes into Bolum, that's when you take the damage. So you're sort of just taking damage as the thing is entering Bolum. And then when it's done right. entering Bolum, the statue itself is that what, what was the statue is gone and you stop taking damage. Okay. So, statue, so the statue is physically gone. The statue is physically gone now. Okay. Hey, look, I was right. <laughs> and Bolum uh, turns red. Oh. That, that's new. Uh, you all right in there? No answer. But that doesn't that's actually troubling. surprise you because every time you've gone plane hopping, Bolum hasn't been able to come with you. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. Okay. Is it like coral red or is it like demon red? Uh, yeah, like demon red. Okay. Cool. Not concerning at all. <laughs> well, we did. He, didn't Volum say there was one of those dogs on each plane? Yeah, but there's. So that's a. So it, the one I saw said it was here with the Alpha. So there's at least two more here. Those probably are another type of dog, too. Those could be actually, yeah, like. Could you know whose kids instead. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know who might More be the alpha. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. The funny thing is I just watched, I just watched up a couple of nights ago. And so I'm expecting if we meet the alpha, it's going to have a high pitched squeaky voice. Sorry, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> hey alpha, your voice sounds funny. Make no guarantees. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's part of your quest, isn't it, Konos? That's a good thing yeah. that you did that. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, uh, what's down these two corridors we haven't explored yet? Uh, which one did the dog go down? This one. Top. Oops. One. The dog went down this one. Um, okay. Um, you hear a... An odd sound that sounds like a, um, it's, it sounds like a, um, like a pulley being worked, uh, like, like, um, you know, like there's a wheel with a rope, uh, on it acting as a pulley and it's a little bit squeaky and, and you, but when you hear it, you kind of hear it turning around, you know what I'm saying? That's what you hear. That's coming down the same hallway? It's coming, yeah, it's coming from this hallway uh, to your left, down this hallway here. Okay. This is now okay. steps Oh, and that down. other place. Yeah, okay. down here. Okay. Well, I could try Arcane Eye again and try to get some more information about what's up there. Okay. All right. I will yeah, send it ahead. Okay. Uh, the Arcane Eye goes not very far and it uh, runs into a choice. There's a northern passageway and a southern passageway. Okay. Um, Alright, so we're going to let everybody know we got another another fork ahead. Which direction is the sound coming from? The sound distinctly sounds like it's coming from the south. South? Okay. 
Do yeah. we? Do you want to send it to check out what that is all about? Yeah, yeah, I'll send it down that way. You see a very uneven shaped cavern. There are a ton of um, stalactites hanging down from the ceiling and also several coming up from the mm-hmm. floor. Although they're not meeting to form pillars, they're just, there's some coming up from the floor and some coming, you know, these, these weird formations, right? Stalactites, stalagmites. Um, they, there is a deep crevice, big trench in the middle of the room that is uh, filled with a strange black substance and it kind of moves and almost almost roils as if something is swimming around in it um there is a set uh there's a contraption going from one end of the deep crevice to another the the crevice is um very long it's about uh 60 or 70 feet long and there's a contraption, a frame set up on each end. And there's a rope pulley system strung between the two ends so that you can put something in a container, in this case a cage, and you can work the pulleys and push the cage out so that it's above the middle of the center of the big crevice filled with uh, black stuff. And you see the arcane eye sees um, there is uh, some sort of a table towards the southern wall. There is a man standing next to the southern, next to the table and he is uh, there are also two of those dog things in here, the red ones, like Kono saw before. And there are uh, a couple of ghouls. One of the ghouls is um, standing next to Blacksley, and uh, one of them is down at the southern portion of the room and working the pulley system to move the small cage out into the middle of the room. And the small cage has a humanoid figure in it, and as the cage is being wheeled out into the center, it's sort of hanging on these ropes. And as it gets towards the center, it's heavy enough that it uh, it sort of sags in the middle because it's just a couple of ropes that are holding it. And as the cage sort of sags down, the black gooey stuff kind of surges up to grab onto the uh, the the bottom of the cage and the individual in the cage starts yelling. So you all actually hear that down. You don't, you hear that down the hallway. Uh, and the arcane eye sees the, in, there is a sort of um, the smoky colored, white colored mixture of, of steam smoke coming out of the individual and as it comes out, the person that's in the back of the room holds up like a little container and the smoky stuff starts wafting towards 
the container and goes into the container and the person puts a lid on it and sets it on the table. And that's where we'll end the today's session. Mm. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. What is happening? Yeah. Oh no. And Blacksley's in there? Blacksley is, is in there, yeah. Was he doing anything or was just standing there? He was there was a ghoul next to him. He was not doing anything otherwise. Just just ch- chilling around. I mean <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Cool. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm not sure what we have, but we have it. Whatever it is, we have a lot of it. Yeah. Oh, we have yeah. um yeah. So there were two of the dogs in there. Blacksley was in there, at least two ghouls, and yeah. the uh, person, uh-huh. the humanoid person that would have the container. <laughs> Looks okay. like that's what we have to stop, whatever they're up to. <laughs> didn't sound very good. Mm-hmm. Great. Looks like we'll have combat next session. <laughs> <laughs> like actual combat. Actual combat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you had combat this time, too. You yeah. just you just happen to have a cleric that's like nah, pching. We, we just happen to have some very very handy spells uh, yeah. <laughs> for dealing with things. I was yeah. excited. I haven't got to do that in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had banish, so you know, yeah, yeah. You got to destroy undead. You got to banish. That. <laughs> ba- banish is fun. Um, banish is fun. Uh, although one of the guards, one of the elite guards, did die. So that's yeah, that uh, that's a loss. Yep, other one got injured. Mm-hmm. No, the injured one's the one that died. The other two, are, the other three are fine. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So we have three that are intact, and um, yeah, we'll be fine. Hopefully, we do healing before we do this. Yeah. So you're um. I mean, you. So there's. Uh, I mean, it depends on. Yeah, I mean, there's I mean, probably not Emmerin... time to rest. But if you no. want to cast healing yeah. spells, you can do so. Yeah, yeah. Well, while we were waiting for Konos's eye to explore, you probably had time to cast something to heal him. Yeah. Who are you, who are you healing? Um, I'm healing Konos for eight hit points. Okay. Thank you. You have eight hit points. Thank you. Left. Yeah, just so I feel like you might take a lot of damage in here specifically. So mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before before running into this, we run into this. I'm going to cast glibness on myself. What does that do for you? Apparently, it makes me a very very uh, smooth talker. It says until the spell ends, when you when you make a charisma check, you can replace the number you roll with a fifteen. This is my eighth level Mystic Arcanum. Right. Um, Additionally, no matter what you say, magic you would magic that would determine if you were telling the truth indicates you are being truthful. Nice. So basically, I'm immune to zone of truth, and any t- and anytime I make a charisma check for anything, it's going to be very very high. So, so you're planning on not fighting? You're planning on talking? <laughs> oh no no no! Oh no no! I'm, I'm planning on fighting. The the the. Meta- <laughs> The benefit from the high charisma is going to come in from other things. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> well, you mm. never know, right? I mean, you, the person who captured the whatever in the container seems like mm. an intelligent individual, right? That's a, 
Um, yeah. He looked kind of old and wrinkly, but um, still yeah. intelligent humanoid. <laughs> yeah. Well, well old let's and wrinkly way. just means he has more spells on hand. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, 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 let's put it this way. If basically, um, yeah, this is gonna. This might give me an edge in in some of that. Okay. Sounds. Good. At least I'm hoping. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> okay, well, I think that's going to be it for today. So uh, tune in in a couple of weeks, and you'll see the climax of what's going to happen here, and who the old wrinkly man at the uh, end of the <laughs> trolley is. <laughs> Otherwise, say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.